Good morning, church. Les Sabbath. And uh, a greeting and good morning also to those uh, joining us uh, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Pioneer Memorial Church. And um, I'm especially glad. I'm glad to be at church. It's been a beautiful worship so far. Amen? Amen. And I'm especially glad to be here with my colleagues, Pastor Rodley, Pastor Ben, and Pastor Jose. And, you know, we are at the end of our uh, sermon series, uh, one of our sermon series uh, called Road Trip, God's Picture of Family. So it's been a journey from our own experiences and from God's word to um, kind of share with each other what is God's picture of family. And um, so this is the end of it. And we are here today to um, uh, answer some questions that you may have in regards to what uh, was preached about the topic. But I do want to make clear on behalf of all of us that we're here um, not because we've arrived. Uh, in other words, not because we're experts and we know everything, but more as a fellow uh, sojourner, right? Fellow journeyers with you. And we want to hear from you as, as our church family uh, and, and know the best way uh, to minister to you. So you'll notice that on the screen... Um, uh, in front of you, behind me, and also on the screen where you're wa- wherever you're watching, um, there'll be a, a number where you may text your questions and messages. So we'll be receiving questions uh, live from our worldwide congregation and you here. And also we have some questions that thank you so much for those of you who already emailed them. And um, These are questions about the sermon series. Question again about the sermon series. And we're going to do our best to answer as many questions as we possibly can, um, and by God's grace, as thoughtfully as we possibly can. All right? Amen. So, you know, we're just going to get, we're just going to get started. Sure. All right? So, let's go for our first question. And, uh, and this uh, member or listener or watcher, viewer asks, um, when only one parent is a believer in the home, how does one p- parent the children? So, there's only one parent who's a believer. How do you effectively parent a child with, when only one is believed in a household? Jose. Uh, there's a lot of different scenarios that this could show up in. This could be uh, parents that are in the same household and one's a believer, a Christian, the other one's not a Christian. They could be of another faith mm-hmm. uh, or no faith. This could be a situation where uh, two, two p- people, father to child or mother oh, to yeah. child, and now they're sharing uh, this or they were divorced and now they're co-parenting. Yeah. So there's a number of scenarios where you could find... Um, where this is true, you know, that one parent's a Christian and a believer and follower and the other one isn't. So what do you do? You're the Christian and you really want your child to grow in faith and to develop a strong relationship to Jesus Christ, but you really can't control or drive or dictate what the other person does or doesn't do. Um, So there's three things that I think are super helpful to remember. One is to trust God. If there's somebody who's more passionate about seeing your child make it to the kingdom, guess who that is? It's God. He is so passionate and eager for all of his children to be there, and he's going to be working 24-7, 365 for their whole life to win your child over. So don't get anxious. Don't get, you know, worked up. How are you going to change all this stuff? Trust God. Come to him. Lay it on his, lay it at his feet, and he, trust me, he's interested in doing that. Um, the second thing, and this is going back to something that Pastor Rodley shared in his sermon, and that's for you to model uh, the gospel experience, for you to model Christ-like behavior. 
if we believe that the gospel makes a difference in the way that people live, it's going to be obvious to your child that there's something different between one parent and another, and the parent who believes is going to show something different. It has to look different. Otherwise, what's the gospel if our lives aren't different uh, than without the gospel? And that itself uh, plays a tremendous impression on your child, for them to see it in you. The third thing that I would do, uh, what I would suggest as far as, as, as much as possible, try to collaborate with your, uh, with the co-parent, yeah. your spouse, whoever that could be. Try to see if you can get some clarity on some core things and agree. Um, and do that prayerfully, do that with dignity, uh, do that with uh, respect for their space and for their own parenting uh, wants and needs. But I think those are some, some steps that we could take to, uh, awesome. to help in that kind of situation. Awesome. And Thank if, you. if I could add to that a fourth thing sure. yeah. is as a community... Each one of us has a place in this mission. Each one of us needs to come alongside that parent. Each one of us can portray the gospel to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I'm going to have you... What would one question. say to a single person who believes that the church places too much emphasis on finding someone? You know, I... Um, what would you say? You know, I... Um, uh, first of all, I don't, the, the idea of too much emphasis, I think the church ought to emphasize um, biblical marriage and what a, a healthy marriage looks like. Uh, at the same time, um, I would say that there's not perhaps enough emphasis on demonstrating the life of a healthy, uh, Christ-centered, single or unmarried person. It's... it's, it's um, and it's ironic in a sense, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's ironic because we have much, many more singles now in our society than ever before, if we're to believe the statistics. And, um, and I believe that, that we ought to talk about marriage and what we can learn from marriage. It's a beautiful metaphor of how God loves this church. But the single person, um, I would agree that we need to, to present singleness um, in the context of, of being a Christian. You know, the word did it. You know, God did it. Paul um, advocated to the widows in uh, Corinthians, uh, don't get married, you know, just stay single and work for the Lord. Um, Jesus was single, and I'm not saying it to be cheeky, oh wow, Jesus was single, but this is very significant, and I know Tim Keller has a wonderful commentary, and I'll be very brief in that, and he says that Jesus' singleness, you know, he was our example, but he did not feel that he needed to be married to be our perfect example. And the reason why Jesus is our example in life and in salvation is because he was living the faith that waited for something better than singleness and something better than marriage. So single remind us, to be unmarried reminds us that God has something greater than marriage in store for us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So yes, we need to demonstrate that singleness is a, an option, that one that is, if it's Christ-centered. Yeah. Great. Uh, here's, here's a question for Pastor Riley. Is it better to focus more on self-control, hoping that it will improve your spiritual life, or vice versa? Yeah, I think that's kind of one of those what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of questions, right? And I think I would just briefly say a few things. First of all, thank you, that when we make a response, it's always about Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to be saved. It's him that's wooing me, him that's drawing me, it's his grace, and I'm simply responding to that grace. But 
I think there is an element, because people wonder, well, what, what is my role? Is there a role for me? Is there something that I'm supposed to do? And I think the little book, Steps to Christ, chapter mm-hmm. 5, Consecration, offers us some really valuable counsel. And it says that our role in kind of this saving relationship, if you will, and we do have a role, apparently, and it's to yield our will. Mm-hmm. And it says that we have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's not simply enough to say, I want to be like Jesus or to admire what Jesus is like, but I have to make a choice, right? I'd say, if I want to be like Jesus, I need to probably go to bed at a decent hour and set my alarm clock in the morning and make an appointment to meet with Jesus in the morning. But lastly, I would say that I think we learn self-control when we learn to obey in the little things in life. Mm -hmm. When we begin spending time in the scriptures and God begins convicting us of stuff, we say, okay, God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out, but let me just be faithful in these little things. And as we do that, we're learning what self-control is about. Mm-hmm. Saying yes to the things of God and saying no to the things of the world. Very mm-hmm. good. And I like what you said about putting yourself in a context, in a mindset, going to, this, going to bed uh, early. Put yourself in a mindset that you're ready to move towards where God is leading you. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really you know, good point. Here's this next one. Uh, parents today seem to allow children to do whatever they want. They seem out of control. What do you feel is causing parents not to control or discipline? How do you discipline and guide children but not break their spirit? I love this part. I am a grandma. I love this part. Um, ben, do you want to pick that one up? Okay, well, <laughs> since I don't have a child, at least not until October. <laughs> I clearly am an expert on judging parents. Um, It's easy to look at other families and say, come on, get it together. It's easy to look at others and say, well, my child would never throw a tantrum. It's easy. But the problem is is we're, we're looking at a small window and wondering why they're not disciplining the way we feel like they should. Let's remember that this word discipline, it's the same root as the word disciple. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to guide them and lead them to Jesus, not necessarily to control every single moment of behavior because, well, we can't do that, can we? Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful because as we read the Bible, we realize that people also question God on his parenting. Hmm. And I love God's answer in Job chapter 38, verse 4. After Job has asked him quite a bit about what he is up to and where he is, because it doesn't seem like he's doing his job. Hmm. And God answers, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Before we criticize other parents too much, we have to ask ourselves, was I in the delivery room? (laughs) Was I there when it all started? Or am I judging on a small picture? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we need to do is continually remember the purpose of discipline. How are ways that we, as a whole community, can be involved to draw children to Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Could I just Bradley. add really briefly that the, the second part of the question was really interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you discipline without breaking their spirit? Right, was... And I think you only break a child's spirit if they feel like they have no hope. Mm. If they don't have a place, a soft spot where they can land. So I think that's, that's why it's so important that you discipline always in the context of love. And so whenever I discipline my kids, they know, they have no doubt that I love them. Mm. I don't discipline them in anger, right? Try not to. Yeah. But we, I'm loving on them. And so when they are disciplined, they know, hey, my, my daddy, my mommy loves me. So mm. it's really important. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick. Um, I started reading this book this summer called No Drama Discipline, which is a, it's a really great book. And what I like about it in the very introductory chapters, it kind of reminds me of what discipline is for. Um, oftentimes we think discipline is just to get correct behavior, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we want them to behave this way when they're in these different contexts. And this is how you talk to adults, or this is how you talk to other kids. And we think primarily of the behavior. Um, what this book is advocating, which I think is really cool, is to teach the value of the behavior. Mm. So discipline really is, comes from the word to disciple. It's about teaching, not just reprimanding. So I think it's really helpful for us to keep in mind that not, it's not, we don't want to limit to teaching our kids how to behave a specific way, but we want to teach them the value mm. behind that behavior. Right, and I'm having a lot of fun with Jonah figuring that out. And that's your, and that's yes. your little son. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, um, thank you again you know, for sending us your, your questions. Really thought-provoking. Very good. Uh, the next one here says, as a 19-year-old, how do I minister to my family that has already fallen apart? Now he or she doesn't define exactly what fallen apart means. But as a 19-year-old, what would you say to a 19-year-old who's concerned about his or her family? Well, I mean, that, it's, we're it, all looking to you, Ben, a wise one. <laughs> it, it's a tough question. Yeah, I did. I mean, none of us have perfect families as much as we would like to pretend that we do. We don't. Um, and so I think that it is imperative that when we see families like that, I mean, going back to your sermon, Jose, when when families hit detours, we as a community need to come alongside them and be with them. But as a 19-year-old, pray. Um, there are things that we cannot do, and that, that is the purpose of prayer, to, to not necessarily just, you know, make God aware of our problems, but take ourselves to the very throne room of heaven. Amen. And you know, the, the, and the fact that that, nine, the, that he or she mentioned nineteen, you know, I, I, it 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 uh, conjures up in my mind this text what Paul tells Timothy. You know, don't let any, don't let anybody look down mm. on your youth, and uh, and I appreciate that encouragement to pray. And um, the age is, is not uh, is not uh, or knowing what to do is not uh, what you need right now. What you need is is to recognize that yes, you're nineteen, and maybe you're helpless to make any changes. But what's powerful about where's God is when you're helpless, that's when God has a chance to be the most strong. So hopefully this person will take encouragement in the fact that um, prayer works and to depend on God more than ever. And I would say this to any 19-year-old or any other child who's going through a difficult family situation right now, it's not your job to hold your Mm. family together. Thank you for that, yeah. Mm. It's not your responsibility. It's not your duty to, to tie these 
loose ends together. Your job, your responsibility is to be the healthiest you that you can be and contribute to the health of the family by doing that, by being faithful to what God has uh, asked you to do, by praying, having a strong devotional life, by finding um, some other adult mentors that you can trust, um, that, that can talk to you and that you can, and that you can talk with. Um, but it's not your job uh, to do that. It's your job to take care, be healthy you, and be faithful to the things that God has called you. But but please, please don't put that on yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Good. Um, why don't I read this one? Uh, you know, this week's uh, Sabbath school lesson has been about Jonah and second chances. And this person is asking, can you reaffirm for my children that God will take them back no matter what? That's a powerful question. Can you reaffirm for my, for my children that God will take them back no matter what? Um, You know, I could just jump in and say quickly that I think the entire Bible is a record of God intersecting into human history in order to redeem lost humanity. What we see in the gospel is Jesus enfleshing and take, you know, coming as a man. So the entire Bible from cover to cover, not just Jonah, I mean, that's a fantastic story, Mm. but the entire Bible, every single story is somehow an illustration of God redeeming man. So I take a lot of inspiration from the whole thing. Amen, amen. From the very beginning, you know, where are you? God is out searching mm-hmm. for us. I mean, that's hope. Absolutely. Ben, did you want to add something? Well, I mean, it, it's hard to add too much more to that. <laughs> but I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's difficult as parents to recognize that children have free will and that Regardless of the best parenting, sometimes children choose to leave. But having a Savior who clearly has demonstrated that there is no line he will not cross to redeem us, who will do absolutely everything in his power, and to know that when it comes to parenting, that's the team we have, is is something that should give all parents and soon-to-be parents hope. Amen. Jose? The question? Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what can grandparents do to help bring our grandchildren to God? Wow. And this one speaks to me because I would not be here if it wasn't for my grandmother. Mm. And um, I know my mom is probably listening right now to, to this service. And I don't think is she, she really? Hi, Mom. Mom. <laughs> I, I don't think she would mind. It's Jose, the guy I told you about. No. <laughs> I don't think she would mind, you to, uh, mind me saying that my grandmother was um, a very fervent a Christian Adventist, and whenever she would visit us, she would share of, of uh, the teaching, and she would take us to church, actually. Mom would let us do that. But there are times where she would, mom would kind of tell my grandmother, you know, what are you teaching the children? Wouldn't really be crazy about what she was teaching us. But I remember whispering to my grandmother when I was six years old, saying, Grandma, don't worry. I'll, I'll join your church one day, you know, when, my, when I'm a grown-up. Mm. But I didn't know what I was saying. But let me tell you, when I was 16, I became baptized. Um, that was a, a, a lifelong prayer of my grandmother. So I cannot overemphasize how powerful the, the presence of grandparents in their children's lives are. And, and, I, and I praise God for my grandmother. She's passed away now, but her legacy of faith uh, is with me. And I'd, I'd like to add on to that... My grandmother, growing up, lived with us at home because she had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And so 
we watched that journey where memories and abilities started disappearing one at a time. Mm. Remember having her read to us as kids, reading Bible stories, and then as it progressed, she lost her ability to read. Mm. But as pieces started disappearing, you were able to see that at the very heart of who she was mm. Mm -hmm. was that relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And grandparents, that's your role. Mm -hmm. To demonstrate the very heart of what it means to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, ben, I had the same story with my grandma. She, it was like a slow death. It was seven or eight years. I mean, it just, it's the, I, I, I remember mourning her at, at different times as she went away. Uh, but I called her my mama, Mama Jovita. She was just um, nurturing, and she made the best mashed potatoes ever. <laughs> best mashed potatoes ever. So, um, Grandma, just love on your grandkids. I mean, Grandpa, love on your grandkids. Um, it, it makes a huge cookie. difference. <laughs> yeah, CCC, chocolate chip cookies, please, okay? <laughs> Amen. Um. Uh, here's an interesting question. My boyfriend wants to get married but was not brought up with a dog in the house. My dog is mostly well-behaved and doesn't shed and barely makes a sound. <laughs> This is a very serious question. Where's it going? Yeah. I know we're laughing, but we hear your pain. When I asked my boyfriend what he wants from me, he says to get rid of it. I don't think he's being reasonable, and I said no. How much does God expect us to sacrifice who we are? We're not getting married. I still love my boyfriend. Which one of us is right? <laughs> Feels like a relationship is hanging on the balance for this one. You're both right. And you're both wrong. And you're both right. I, I go back to the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, you know, what do I have to do to be saved? And he, he outlines very easily, you know, the you know, Ten Commandments. It, you, you, treat all, you do all these and you'll be fine. And he says, well, I've done those all from my youth. And then, and then Jesus says, okay, then you have one, less, you have one more thing to do. Um, and that's to sell everything you have and, and give it away to, to everybody. Now, I think this is kind of, uh, here's where I think it's important in a relationship. If you're not in a relationship where you don't have a desire to be charitable to the other person, right? If, 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 you, if there isn't coming out of you in a, a, a desire and a passion to be generous to them and to give to them and to, and to give them priority, um, then you maybe need to reevaluate the dynamics in your relationships and, and, and where that's headed because mm -hmm. clearly that's an important step in the development of a Christian, yeah. not just for, you know, husband and wife, but even just between brothers and sisters and family members here. Can I give a ahead, quick prequel to that question? Sure. I think that's why it's so important that as soon as possible, you know, we talked about this a few, a few weeks ago. I, I didn't quite understand the last part. It says, we're not getting married, but still my boyfriend... If you're not getting married, you shouldn't be your boyfriend anymore. So that, that's one piece. It sounds a little harsh, but it's true. Because that's the end point of any kind of dating relationship. It should yeah. be marriage. But there's this really great book called Preparing for Marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think people should read that book and go through it before they get engaged, actually. It, has, it must have 150 different questions in there mm -hmm. across every kind of topic you can think about. I mean, who's going to take out the trash? Who's going to be the primary cook in the house? Mm -hmm. my, my wife and I, Yvette... 
we went through that book while we were seriously dating, and it was a huge blessing to us. Wow. Say the title it, again, one more time. Preparing for marriage. Preparing for marriage. Preparing for marriage. It's just Very a huge good. blessing. You talk about roles, you agree, and yeah, you move forward. All right. And you know, I remember, Ben, you had a, a, a very similar situation with Brianna that you spoke about yeah, in your sermon. I thought I made it clear, you give up your dog. <laughs> Amen. That's, um, what can I do? Uh, and I think this one is a text message we, we're, we're being told. What can I do now as a teenager to prevent divorce as an adult? That's a great question. All of them have been great, but I particularly appreciate this one from a teenager. What can I do to prevent divorce? Well, divorce is not something anybody hopes for. Say it again. Divorce well, is not something anybody hopes for. Right. I mean, nobody goes into marriage planning that, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think one of the best things you can do is strengthen your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Build that relationship, focus on that relationship, prepare who you are to be the spouse you need to be. And I, th- I think that's all you can do at this point. You know, I, I would add, and I think that's a beautiful answer. I think that's the main answer. And, and in terms of how, you, how that relationship with Jesus affects how you relate to, to other people and, and practice being a, um, a person who respects other people and um, even actually at times puts people first and extend themselves beyond yourself, whether it be through service, whether it be to, but just to be, practice being in community, in other words, with other people. Here's what I tell freshmen when they come, and, and uh, I know all the high school students are going to love me right now. I tell freshmen, um, don't start dating anybody mm. in the first semester. Please, don't, I mean, just don't do it. There's just too much novelty. There's just too much excitement. There's, there's two major breakup times in the uh-huh. school year. And that's like late October mm-hmm. because there's like, it goes for about eight weeks and then it's done. And then, um, and then there's January because everybody's just depressed. Right. And so I always advise freshmen, just don't date. And I, and I would say that to high school students, mm-hmm. don't date. <laughs> I know, a lot of what, what, what habits are you going to start building right now? Um, with, with another individual who's also just developing. Um, you're, not, you're likely to cause more damage because it's not going to... I mean, I know we probably have people here who met in high school and high school sweethearts, but those are by far the exceptions. Um, I think by doing a lot of dating while you're in high school and you're young, you're just, you're just setting yourself up to build scars and heartache and pain all things that will be hurdles further down the road. Uh, you know, de- keep your life decluttered. Enjoy high school. Hang out with lots of friends. Um, but you're going to get there. Don't, don't rush. Don't rush it, yeah. I think a lot of parents would appreciate that, that comment. They did comment. not pay me to say that. <laughs> but I do have an eight-year-old Sophia. Eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Playing early, yeah. So, okay, listen to this, um, guys. Please, please, what do you do? What do you do to a child who decides to go his own way after being shown love and affection at home apart from prayers? I mean a child who makes you angry almost all the time. Wow. I I think that's a really interesting question, and I would challenge the parent to consider one of two possible options. 
I don't know what it means when they say a child who's going his own way. Obviously, we're talking about not an adult, but someone that's still in the house. Right. But could it be that there is some physiological issues perhaps going on that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I don't even want to say a name for anything, mm-hmm. um, but I would suggest, you know, see a, an MD, see a psychologist perhaps to see if maybe there's something emotional going on. I'm a huge believer in therapy and, and, and emotional wellness, and I don't think we should ever be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. I think we should advocate for that. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I would challenge the parent to, to think about maybe is there something that maybe they're doing as a parent. So in other words, I would challenge them to hang out with other parents, to speak with other parents, read books, talk to professionals, talk to some pastors, and try to get some perspective on their own parenting because maybe there's somewhere along that broad spectrum something that can be done. Mm-hmm. Of course, pray. Of course, love. But maybe there's something else that can be done in between as well. Sure. Thanks, Riley. I'll let you get that out of there. Uh, what would one say to a single person who believes that the church places too much emphasis on finding someone? Did we do this question already? Yeah, we did. This that. sounds familiar. Yeah. I'm having deja right? vu. Did we do this? I could add some more things to it. We already did. Oh, you know what? They said... Um, it's, it was something, uh, what do you say to a single who feels that they talk too much about marriage? So this is kind of a similar, but, right? Am I, it's not exactly the same question. Um, I don't I know if you don't want to add to anything uh, to that. Uh, okay, next question. This? Next question, I'll read this next Okay. Question. We're going to move on. I was not married to, but lived with someone of the opposite gender and of a different faith for some time. Realizing this relationship is not what God wants for me, in his sight, am I free to leave that relationship and marry someone else? Well, I think often we get this idea in our head that if you have two people living together, clearly they need to be married. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the best thing for them to do is, like going back to this idea of detouring, asking God, where should I be going from here? Um, sometimes the best thing for them to do is to make that commitment to, to get married. But I, I don't think there's a clear answer in the Bible. This is exactly what you should do in this situation. But uh, if, if they're, they're saying God has convicted me, it sounds like. I don't know if we could throw it back up there or not. Mm-hmm. But if God has convicted you that the person you're with is not right for you, then I think it's pretty clear. You need to fall through with the conviction that God has placed in your heart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you need to go out and marry someone else immediately, but if God has shown you, you just yeah. follow through with, with, with just be bold. Right. And it's not too late to do the right say thing. Good, say goodbye. Yep. Yeah. All right, very good. Our next question. We often talk about the physical boundaries for dating. Should there also be emotional boundaries? What do you think, Sabine? I'd say yes. I mean, boundaries... Uh, what are boundaries? Boundaries protects. It's whatever you set up to protect what's really important to you. And uh, physically, you know, we, we don't belong just to ourselves. You know, God created us for a certain purpose, so we don't want to squander our bodies. And it's the same with emotion. You know, Proverbs um, 4.23 and, and following, you know, outlines this, this idea that we ought to guard our minds because out of that out of our minds is where our behavior comes from. So absolutely, there should be very strong uh, emotional... Um, sometimes they, they may cause more damage. And it might sound provocative to say that, but I think they may cause more damage than actually physical um, 
boundaries. So absolutely, one should be very careful. And the physical precipitates the emotional, right? I mean, the Bible says, do not awaken love before it's time. In other words, when you can get involved in a physical relationship, the the emotional part of it is just going to be drawn to that. And once you get there, everything gets fuzzy, distorted. It's distorted, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds like one up your alley. How do you know the difference between a detour in your life goals and God trying to close the door on that outcome? That's a really good question. Powerful question. Let's put that one up again. Yeah, let's stare at that one for a little bit. Yeah, I want to ponder on this one. How do you know the difference between a detour in your life goals and God trying to close the door on that outcome? Hmm. Um, This is how I. I mean, there's a few things that I do when I'm trying to discern God's will in my life, and and this is kind of in that vein. Um, One, uh, just amping up my prayer life, Mm -hmm. and specifically listening in my prayer life. Um, this last April, I, I committed to 30 days of um, a specific prayer exercise three times. I set my alarm clock on my phone three times a day, and I was asking God some very specific questions. And I, <laughs> I kept asking. And it was interesting, since it was on my mind the whole time, I felt I was, God was talking yeah. through people, yeah. through circumstances, through scripture texts. I was just uh, getting in tune with what he had to say. So I, I would say amp up your prayer life. The other thing that I would say is um, find some trusted people, God-fearing people um, that, you can, that you can talk with, mm-hmm. that you can talk with and, and try to figure out, you know, uh, what, is, what is the best situation here? What's, what's the best way Seek to go? counsel, you're yeah, saying. Right. Well. Other voices. What do you guys think? I, he covered it pretty much. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. All right. Um, uh, let's go to our, um, f- we have one more final question we're going to answer, at least one more. Okay. All right, let's see. Uh, thank uh, you for your text messages. We got like 64, 65 of them this yeah, morning. Uh, right. Over 64 questions, which is fantastic. Um, my adult son has rejected the teachings of the church and attends a non-denominational one. Can he still be saved if he never becomes an Adventist again? How should I pray for him? I think that's the question. Any way you can. Cry out to God any way you can. Um, But that question in particular, can he still be saved if he never becomes an Adventist again? I would would answer it with a song. And if you know it, sing it with me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yes, just Jesus. His righteousness, His sacrifice, His gift, uh, God's gift to us, His life, His resurrection is what's going to get us to heaven, right? That is how we will be saved only through Him, only by believing in His gift. Uh, and believing in him are we saved. It's not any denomination that saves you. It's not any righteous doing of your own. It is Jesus Christ. Amen. So Amen. Uh, let's steer him to Jesus. Amen. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't anything but that actually to that question. But having been somebody who, who wasn't and, and became a 7 day Adventist, uh, I believe what the word says. Call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Why even be an Adventist? This person seemed to, be, to suggest that if, unless you have an Adventist appended to your name, 
you're not going to be saved. But a lot of us are Adventists, hopefully not because we think it's going to save us and get us quicker to heaven. Hopefully, we opened the word and said, wow, the way this teaching is coming to us is in keeping with, with, with how the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring me and leading me. And, and not to be exclusive of other faith beliefs, but somehow for me personally, the way the Bible explained, for example, the state of the dead, it never made sense until an Adventist minister came and opened the Bible to me. Uh, but again, we follow Christ because we love him the best we can, and, um, and our interpretation of truth happens to be Adventist. But I would say to this person, if praise God that your son is still holding on to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the, the biggest takeaway. Amen. And you know, we have more questions coming, but we, we're going to have to bring it. This went by pretty fast, right? Right? This was, we need to do this more uh, together, guys. Um, you know, as we talked about um, um, this road trip towards understanding God's family uh, better, um, what we want to close with is the idea that uh, God wanted to tell the world that he was running after them and, and wanting to embrace and love them, and he created uh, the church and called the church his family. And he asked his family to go and show the world this is what love looks like. And, um, and when Jesus said, you know, I'm with you forever in, in Matthew, when he gave the Great Commission, it wasn't just to, to say a goodbye or to, to, to let us know, hey, you're going to be okay after I'm gone. But it was actually a promise to remind us that this idea of go and make disciples, go and get those people and that people into the family, you cannot do that without my power and without my presence. So the Lord has promised that he would be with us to help us and fulfill that mission of being um, his family. I just want to thank you guys for being here uh, this morning with me. And also um, extend thanks to the media team. I mean, they did a good job, right? They did a great job. Um, Brian Vinopowski and and Michael and Park and the team, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, So what shall we do? How shall we respond? And I'm going to invite you to pull out your Connect cards uh, from your bulletin. Whether you're here every week or you're joining us for the first time, we invite you to look at the Connect card. And as you listen to some of the answers, and maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, um, we want to extend this invitation. If you've never taken seriously this uh, call of Jesus to be His, and you want to belong to him again or for the first time, we want to hear from you. And we do invite you to check the box where it says, I am interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. I know Pastor Rodley and his team, Tabitha, would make sure that they would contact you and get you connected with that Bible study. And maybe you want to be baptized or for the first time or again, you have new understanding and you say, well, I want to be part of God's family and I want to serve him in this community. We invite you to please check that box as well. Now, if you want to be part of building God's family, uh, there are three, uh, two options at least we listed here under the next step, my next step. Uh, the first one is, you know, when you go on the website online, wherever you are, um, Grow Groups uh, is starting again. We're having a new semester coming and you're feeling this sense of, you know what, I want to open my home, create a space. You might do it here in the church, in a building somewhere on campus. Um, we have one group that's doing it online. She's, she's doing their meeting, you know, on the screen somehow. I don't know, through Skype or something. I'm not sure. 
But you want to create that space for people to interact together, to feel that they belong, start a grow group, sign up for a grow group online, or check this box to be contacted. Number two, another suggestion is you want to try for one day at least. We have a welcome uh, dinner happening, I think August 22nd, for our new student here on campus. And you're like, you know what, I want to help... Um, you know, make some food and come at the church and help welcome these new students and uh, make them feel welcome. So that's one way of service. The Spirit may lead you to others. And finally, boy, I was really um, touched by a lot of the questions have to, had to do with uh, hope and finding healing for one's family and oneself. If, if this is you this morning, wherever you are, even online, you can fill it, up, fill it out. Um, If you're praying and you want prayer for healing and hope in your family and for yourself, you know, we commit as a pastoral staff that when we gather again around that table, we will pray by name and for the situation by name around that table. So we'll take your prayer request very seriously. So no, so as you fill out those cards, um, the deacons are going to stand and they'll be coming around to, to collect those cards and also your tithe and offering uh, for the advancement of God's work. So uh, deacons, if you would stand, please, and... And uh, I'll go ahead and say um, a prayer of blessing for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that um, you set upon this rock, meaning yourself, Lord, that you will build this church. And thank you, God, that you have seen something in us that you say they are mine. And um, thank you for your acceptance. How can we ever repay you and thank you? We can't really, but we want to give you what we have and we ask for blessing upon um, the tithe and the offering that we're returning today. And also, Lord, on these cards, as we fill it out, um, Lord, give us conviction and continue strength to serve you and make you first. In Jesus' name, amen.